Welcome back to episode 81 of the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast. My name is Josh. As always, I'm here with Troy. What's going on, Troy? A little bit later on a Wednesday night. Yeah, we might be uh, pushing the uh, 3 a.m. <laughs> clock oh, pretty pretty close to get to go live. But yeah, I'm ready. Had a baseball game tonight. Suns team won, so that's good. Big success. There you go. Game one in the books. Uh, we had our first YouTube live show. Was that Monday? Had to, was Monday, that Monday? Yep, I think so. Does it seem like yes. like a month ago already at this point? Well, it seems, yeah. It was a blur, and it went real fast, which was good. It went well. Uh, had a lot of fun. Thanks again to Jeremy Lee for helping us out with that. And, of course, learned that Chicago will be the new home for Connor Bedard, and we'll get into that in a little bit. We do have a huge show today, so going to get right to it. But before we do, just a reminder that the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast is a Patreon podcast. That means that we rely on support from listeners like you to help us cover expenses, continue to produce more and hopefully better hockey card content like our YouTube live show and other stuff we have planned and help us to fund initiatives, even in a small way to grow the hockey card hobby. Right now, there's still time to join our out of 99 support level tier on, a, on Patreon. It's $5 a month. You also get exclusive access to the Hockey Cards Gong Show Discord server and chat with us and all the other great people on there on a daily basis. It's super easy to do, Troy. All you got to do is either go to hockeycardsgongshow.com, click on the become a patron link, or you can go to Patreon's website, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search for Hockey Cards Gong Show. There's a link in the show description for whatever podcast app you're listening to us on right now. And finally, in our social media channels like Instagram and TikTok and our link tree, you can find a link there. All right, Troy, ready for the game plan? I'm ready. On today's show, we begin with the greatest NHL player to wear number 81. Then we take a quick look at the NHL playoffs. Next, it's on to the news of Connor Bedard heading to Chicago and what that can mean for the Blackhawks and the hobby. We then take a look at hobby news and also do our preview of our favorite hockey cards in the PWCC weekly auction. We finish the show with new product releases and our listener mailbag segment. Okay, we are on number 81, the greatest NHL player to wear number 81 per the Hockey Writers. Greatest player to wear each number article is Marion Hossa. We have broken our streak of names of people might not know of or maybe have heard in the periphery. I believe most of our listeners have heard of Marion Hossa. I would think so, yeah. But to be honest, I part of me wanted this to be Phil Kessel, and we could do a 15-minute segment on his love of hot dogs. but Bill's favorite dogs, hot <laughs> we dogs. We were not that lucky, so we got Marion Hosa, which is a good consolation prize. All right, he is a right winger from Stara Labavadna, Czechoslovakia. Hosa was the 12th overall pick in the 1997 NHL entry draft by the Ottawa Senators. Hosa played 1,309 regular season games over an 18-season NHL career. Hosa played his first seven seasons with Ottawa, followed by stints with our favorite Atlanta Thrashers, Pittsburgh, and Detroit, before ending his career with eight seasons with Chicago. Any chance they would have taken back on the Blackhawks right now? <laughs> yeah, they have. <laughs> he, still, he still looks in good shape. Yeah. He only retired, I don't know. Well, actually, that's going to be a fun fact. I don't even I don't spoil that. All right. For, don't, for don't his, yeah, for his awards and accomplishments, he's in the Hall of Fame. Three-time Stanley Cup winner, 1999 All-Rookie Team. And he did finish second in Rookie of the Year voting that year to Chris Drury. 
He is a five-time All-Star Game selection, one-time NHL second All-Star team, and his number 81 is retired by the Chicago Blackhawks. I didn't know that. That surprises me a little bit. And it was just recently, I believe it might have been January this year or maybe late last year. It was pretty recent. Hosa, during his career, had 525 goals, 609 assists for 1,134 points. He made the playoffs in 17 of his 18 NHL seasons, compiling a stat line of 52 goals, 97 assists for 149 points in 205 playoff games played. The best season of his career from a point standpoint was his 2006-07 season, where Hosa had 43 goals, 57 assists for 100 points. In 82 games played with, again, our favorite, the Atlanta Thrashers. They need to bring back the Thrashers. Maybe not put really? them in Atlanta. Don't put them in Atlanta. Put them somewhere where they actually like hockey. I used to work in media and did a lot of work with CNN, and they took us through it to a Thrashers game. It was oh, really? sad. The environment <laughs> was not great. That sucks. Hosa had eight seasons of 30-plus goals and three seasons with 40-plus goals. In addition, he had 11 seasons of 60-plus points. Now, I was doing a lot of research on hosts. I actually went kind of crazy with the research, but here's a crazy stat I found that just that shows just how much Marion Hosa contributed to the offensive shot production for Chicago. The Blackhawks shot attempt differential when Hosa was on the ice at even strength was a plus 1,378. The Blackhawks shots on goal differential when Hosa was on the ice at even strength, was a plus 704. Wow. I've never seen that stat before. Is that commonly used? or? Yeah. Well, shot attempt is Corsi. If you ever hear Corsi, that's yeah. shot attempts. I could have okay. called this the Blackhawks Corsi differential. Gotcha. Yeah. it's Shot attempts are actually almost more important now than shots on goal. They're finding that there's a lot more correlation with shot attempts than shot okay. on, shots on goal. All right. Troy's remembrance of Hosa. I just remember him being a great, solid hockey player. However, the more research, I mean, I must have did, I did multiple hours of research on him last night. The more research I did, the more respect I kind of have gained for him. Yeah. His first season with Ottawa, he got sent to the Portland Winterhawks after seven games. And you read about it in the press and interviews with Hosa. And it's kind of amazing. He doesn't dwell on it. He just states it was the perfect learning experience, allowed him to grow and develop in a winning environment. Boy, I wish more players would take his hint. And I wish he could come to my high school team and talk to girls about what it means to face adversity and not get everything you want right away. I think that would be, I think we'd have a good insight to that. Hosa was truly a well-rounded player that played all aspects of the game. Well, Hosa's career ended in 2017 when he announced that he was retiring due to a progressive skin disorder, which actually turned out to be eczema. And this was eye-opening for me. I've heard of eczema. I never knew it could be so debilitating. But he, he had was on really spitting chick- spitting chiclets yeah. like six months ago, and it was to the point like he couldn't wear his equipment or yep. put his gloves on. I mean, it was horrible. I hope you're not eating right now. But he had basically pus marks, and he would bleed, and he just couldn't do anything. It was really, oh really bad. Now, here's the kind of this is an interesting fact. I didn't put in fun facts. It's an interesting fact is that while he did not play after the 2016-17 season, he didn't officially retire until 2022 when he did the ceremonial one-day contract with Chicago so he could retire a Blackhawk. Hosa has continued to run a charity 
in his retirement. He's built a sports recreation complex. He owns apartments. He has a food distribution company. Sounds like he is making out very well for himself after with his life after hockey. Hosa is also one of those guys that was truly concerned with just winning. He turned down multiple offers of way more money during his playing career to sign for less where he thought he had a better chance to win a cup. And this is the one example I loved reading about. He agreed to a one-year, $8 million deal with Detroit, but the Red Wings general manager, Ken Holland, wouldn't finalize it until he got the okay from Nicholas Lidstrom because Hosa would be making more than Lidstrom. And and he wanted to make sure Lidstrom was okay with it. Hosa found out, called the general manager, said, I will immediately take $7.4 million because Lidstrom was taking 7.5 or was salary was 7.5. So he just wow. said, give me a hundred thousand less and let's yeah. go with it. So he just, he wanted to play in Detroit. He thought that's where he had the best opportunity. The money, obviously it's still a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but it's kind of interesting and cool to hear some of those stories. Patty Kane and Joel Quinville have called Hosa the perfect hockey player. Per Joel Quinville, Hosa was no maintenance, smart, comes to play every night, plays the right way. Plays in all situations. He even went on to say Hosa always did the right things in the right areas. And as a coach, he was spoiled to have him on his team. Said Hosa just quietly did his job and was the most respected guy because he was such a nice, classy player. A classy guy. There you go. That's that sums up his career. I think I don't think you'll hear many ill words, ill words spoken of Marion Hosa. Fun fact time. We got lots. Okay, let's do it. So how did Hosa become come to wear number 81 when hosa was with ottawa he was number 18 and i believe he was i can't remember how many teams he was 18 with however when he signed with detroit in 2008 the red wings had forward kirk maltby who was already wearing number 18 therefore hosa just switched to 81 not the most exciting story but still that's how he got 81 (laughs) that seems to happen a lot yep but it makes sense kind of just well let's just switch the numbers and call it good All right, fun fact number two. In 2009, Hosa signed a 12-year deal with the Chicago Blackhawks for $62.8 million. The contract was heavily front-end loaded with $59.3 million or 94% of the contract being paid in the first eight years. Hmm, I can see where this is going. This led to an NHL investigation and ultimately led to a rule change to about how much money can be front-loaded in contracts. Basically, what the Blackhawks figured out is how to circumvent the salary cap in the later years. And so I don't understand why that's a bad thing. Because I, think, if you wanna... I think it's part, they think they're circumventing the cap rules, but also I wonder if the union steps in too because the union wants to protect their players and yeah. maybe they would rather have them get more money during the whole contract. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to yeah. not say anymore because I'm probably talking out my butt, but I just know that's, led to the NHL investigation. He is only the second player to go into the Hall of Fame while still under contract. Okay, I was going to maybe ask a correction because I'm looking at the show notes and I see right at the top of the page, Hall of Fame, and then you're like, he officially retired in 2022. Yep. And I'm like, how does that happen? So he Okay, so we're going to learn. Yeah, he basically stopped playing in 2017-18. Basically, as excellent as he's done. However... His contract actually got traded to Arizona with some players. It was just like in a throw-in deal. And he officially got – I mean, then he got inducted in the Hall of Fame the next year or two years later. But he was okay. still actively under contract. So then he did the ceremonial uh, one-year deal and, and retired at Blackhawk. 
there's the other person I believe, and I might get this wrong. I'm trying to remember from memory. I think was is Chris Pronger, who kind of had the same deal, and I think actually his contract got traded to Arizona too. Oh, well, haven't you just, seen that? Yeah, like they that? have like a Hall of Fame team that's under contract that haven't played in like six years. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny, but I, I think I'm right on Pronger. I might not be. Someone will correct me. Hosa was the first player in NHL history who played in the Stanley Cup final in three consecutive seasons with three different teams, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Chicago. Finally, number five, Hosa wrote an autobiography with Scott Powers of The Athletic. Now, I just wanted to put this in there because I haven't read it, but every review I looked at said it's like a must read, and it's just fantastic with the stories that's in it. All right, rookie card. We had to dig deep in the bowels to find this one. 1997-98, Donneris Preferred, number 162. That's what we're going with for his rookie card. He does have an upper deck rookie card, but it's not a Young Guns. Mm -hmm. And I basically went to Beckett and PSA and just said, which one has more graded copies? And it was actually this Donneris Preferred one. Okay. So that's the one I decided to use. The PSA 10 has a pop of 49 with a gem rate of 34%. In 2022, this card sold and had a couple of sales for $62.50 USD and $82 USD. His BGS 9.5 copy of this card is a pop of 29, gem rate of 25%. And there was a sale on May 3rd, 2023 for $49.99 USD. Criminally, not a big chase. Criminally not a big chase. But it is what it is. Great topic. Read his autobiography. I bet it's a really good read. Just thinking here, too, Upper Deck really, I don't think, has been adding him a lot to any of the vet subsets or like there's like a jambalaya or anything like that with Marion Hosa. So the guy had 500 goals for gosh sake. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. I should have looked up and see if he had any more recent cards. Like you said, maybe the jambalaya or. Whatever, but he should. I would love if he was in that signature edition Legends. I don't know if he is. I was just thinking that, too, if there was a future watch auto for him in that. Yeah. That would have been kind of cool. All right, well, Marion Hosa, episode 81. Okay, we want to do a quick NHL playoffs update. We're not going to do who's hot in the struggle bus because the games are getting more spread out. There's less teams and less games now. But the playoffs are still going on and a lot of intrigue with the games. So... We're recording this, like we said, a little bit later on Wednesday night. The Leafs survived, Troy. <laughs> they'll, they'll play a game five. They live um, on to game five. Good for them. They will live on to game five. The Devils are also on the ropes. So really, I think Maple Leafs and Devils are the two teams on the ropes. We did have a Luke Hughes emergence, though, since our last show. We played past couple of games for New Jersey. Does have two assists, but is minus three. I think it's really shaping up for him and Matthew Nyes to be probably the big chases in Series 1 for 2023-24. How does that sit with you? Do you think if, if those two guys are the headliners of UD, nothing's going to compare to UD2, but do you think that that makes for an interesting kind of new product release and a strong chase? I think it's a no. strong chase if you're a Toronto fan. <laughs> but I don't know. And I, being a Gopher fan, I would actually try to get some of his cards. And Luke Hughes is fine, but defenseman. Yeah, he's right. a defenseman. Nice is is he a center or what's he officially listed as? Do we know? I think he's playing wing, but yeah, I'm not so sure. I, I it's not the most exciting. I don't think to the general hobby or the general hockey market, but I would definitely be interested in it. But I don't think it's as good as previous years. 
taking the hobby perspective too on the Devils and Leafs with them being on the ropes, it's not a great thing. I mean, there's some big primetime players that are, for all intents and purposes, hanging on by a thread here and probably probably will be bounced. You have Austin Matthews, of course, Mitch Marner, and Jack Hughes. Florida and Carolina don't quite have the hobby star power that, of course, the Devils and Maple Leafs do. Still waiting for that Kachuk breakthrough, and he is inching up, Troy. Kachuk had, this was before tonight where I think he had another assist, but he had five goals, 10 assists for 15 points in the first 10 games of the playoffs, so that's pretty good. His sales, like I said, are trending up. His 2016 Young Gun PSA 10 top 738, vessel for 175 US, which is up 33% in the past couple weeks. So good sign, I guess, for him and decent sign of a healthy market because he's been pretty awesome so far in these playoffs. Beyond that, Dallas and Edmonton, Troy, they seem to be a little bit up and down in their series. Is that what you've noticed too? It's like, depending on the game, they either win by a lot or get smoked. There's been, they're kind of leading this trend of the blowouts are starting to happen, which is kind of crazy, but I guess maybe that makes sense with the regular season, how many goals we saw. I don't know if you're going to, I don't think you, oh, you do. I'll I'll wait for my snarky comment here in a little bit, but yeah, I did watch that Dallas Seattle game and that was, it was kind of crazy. And I think Seattle replaces their goalie, scores two goals, makes it like five, three. And I'm like, oh boy, are we going to see a comeback? But then it didn't happen. But Dallas, Dallas looked good in that game. Pavelski, again, scores. He's just yeah. defying time and age and playing fantastic. What about the cut on Miro Heiskanen's face? Oh, that thing looks ugly. It still looks like it hurts. You know what I've noticed? So with him and somebody else in the playoffs, all of a sudden, and this is a good thing. I'm not knocking it at all. They're all wearing the Itex now. And it's like, I thought like hell or high water, no NHL player 10 years ago would have ever worn a face shield. So right? it's, it, I'm curious what players had the eye tech because I, I, I'm, I believe there's an NHL rule that you cannot wear a full eye tech unless you're injured. And it was, then, it was Heiskanen had one on last night. Which and then injured. when Timo Meyer came back, I think yeah, from, and he's injured too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really crazy rule that a lot of people don't understand. And I actually think it has to do with peripheral visions. I oh. think what the NHL said or in the studies, because the full shield will block your vision down. And what they don't want is going into the corner and putting your head down to see a puck gotcha. and then going straight in. It like my, I had to try to explain it to my wife. She was asking the question and she's like, it doesn't make sense. Why can't they wear a full face shield if they wanted to? And then you got a couple players. I, we were actually laughing at this too, like Jamie Ben. Doesn't wear a yeah. field at all. He's been grandfathered in. There's, I don't know how many people are still left. Revo too, right? Yeah, Reeves doesn't wear one either. I'm sure that yeah. you know how many other guys are out there that have been grandfathered in since that rule. Handful of guys. And then again, okay, bringing it back to the hobby, Troy, the goalies. Holy cow. Oh my God. How, how could you possibly <laughs> even try to invest in a goalie right now just, in the playoffs? <laughs> just don't. It's, it's just oh wild. God. Right? You have Skinner who has not been great. He's 4-4, four and four, 3.60 goals against, .888 save percentage. His 2020 Young Gun PSA 10 pop 668, 75% gem rate, is selling right now for about 94 US. It's down 5%, mm-hmm. which it seems like it's good that it's only down 5% because <laughs> he's been a little spotty. And then our guy Ottinger has been really up and down too. He's 6-4 and four so far in the playoffs, 2.71. Goals against 0.903 save percentage. His 2020 Young Gun PSA 10 pop 780, 51% gem rate is selling less than Skinner. If you Ooh, believe that in the 90 crazy. US range, down 14% in the past two weeks. You got, you know, maybe Grubauer, who's been okay. 
but he's six and five, two point nine seven goals against. And I don't know is is Officer Bob Bobrovsky Officer is he the Bob, goalie baby. of the of the playoffs so far? You know he's six and one, a little bit high goals against, three point one three point nine oh nine save percentage. But I don't know. I'm just looking at it like from that. Okay, you want to invest in a goalie or or maybe try to flip a goalie in the playoffs? I, I think it's just stay away, Terry. Yeah, it's I mean, uh, <laughs> you just stay away and let them keep imploding. I guess it's oh, like Ottinger could have a shutout and then let in six goals in two periods in the next game. And that's just like the way that it seems this is going. Yeah, it's the story of the playoffs right now, I think, is the goaltending. I'm curious. To, I haven't looked at it, what these all these advanced analytics are going to show around goalie play and maybe kind of solidifying yeah. some of the thought that we had in the regular season that goalies are struggling. And the best example is the whole devil situation. Oh, God. I so for three games, we, we have Akira Schmid, who looks like, and it would have been fun. I'm I, bummed that he's yeah. hasn't continued his streak, but he was amazing for three games and his young guns was doubling, tripling. And then he has some terrible starts. He gets pulled like what, two or three, I think you said last show, two or three starts in a row for Vanasek. <laughs> so then they start Vanasek last night and he, and he gets pulled and Schmidt goes, but it's just like the revolving door of goalies you, for here, New Jersey. Here's my comment on the jet devils. They need to just find their e-bug, get him in the game and just start the e-bug. Cause the regular guys aren't doing anything. I'm sure they have a third string. That's not the e-bug. I would love it if an e-bug had to play in the playoffs. That means you went through your three goalies yeah. and then you had to get to the e-bug. But what a mess. And what do you do if you're the head coach? You're just like, I give up. Like anyone want to stop a puck? Just stop a puck, please. Yeah, they were talking about that the other night in the Edmonton Vegas game when is it Brousseau? Is that his name? He got hurt. Yeah, he got and then hurt. they had to have Jonathan Quick suit up from from the locker room and how that being allowed to carry three goalies is helpful in the playoffs. Okay. We want to talk Connor Bedard, but before that need to make a quick mention for gong show partner and sponsor slab sharks. Thank you to them for their continued support of our show. The current weekly slab sharks auction ends tonight, Thursday night. So be sure to go to slabsharks.com, get a link to the auction. Like every week, Troy, their hockey cards just get better and better. They seem to have really found a system to source some crazy hockey cards from Canadian collectors. Uh, you went deep in last week's auction. We're going to reveal your cards soon. Should be in that- hand tomorrow. Should be in hand tomorrow. Nice. So how was the, the buyer process for you? I mean, like, did you Completely, notice anything? I just you know won the auction. I read the instructions that said if you win multiple items, they will send an invoice. I did read that. And of course, I also sent a message saying, hey, here's the cards I won. Please send me an invoice. I got an invoice within probably five to 10 minutes of sending that message. And it was very easily explainable. I knew what my shipping cost was. I paid it and it went out on Tuesday and it will be here tomorrow. So seems like a pretty smooth uh, (laughs) shipping. Yeah. Good job. Slap sharks there. If you're a Canadian hockey card collector and looking to turn some of your cards into cash, we'd strongly recommend looking at Slab Sharks for your eBay consignment services. They do all the work, Troy. Handle all the hassles. Expose your cards to lots of potential buyers in both Canada and the U.S. via their very popular weekly auctions. If you want information about their consignment services, you can go to SlabSharks.com as well. Okay, so Monday was a huge day in the hockey world and the hockey card hobby. One of the biggest hobby questions that, gosh, I was trying to think, how long has 
kind of Connor Bedard been in the hobby lexicon now where where he's had hype in a year, I mean, a year and a half? Yeah, he's had hype. I think it really picked up the last year. Really picked up. Once this finals or his season started with the CHL and just how crazy it was going and the highlights. I mean, every every game there's a new crazy highlight. It's just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. So Chicago, of course, won the NHL draft lottery and has the number one pick and the rights to presumably select Connor Bedard in the NHL entry draft, unless something crazy happens, like he gets run over by the struggle bus or something like <laughs> Wouldn't that be sad? Struggle bus <laughs> takes a wrong turn down a one-way in Chicago. Because Chicago, downtown Chicago is kind of crazy for driving. It could. So you never know where the struggle bus might veer off to. My wife was asking, well, so th- they could trade the pick, right? I'm like, no. This is the one time I'm going to say no. They're not dumb. No. They're not going to sit there no. and try to... <laughs> You can never what you whatever you get back well, a thousand yeah. pieces will never equal a generational yeah. talent like that. So that would be craziness. So coming into the draft lottery, Troy Chicago had an eleven point five percent chance to get to the number one pick, which was the third best odds. And we talked about it before, but they really kind of fumbled the bag in the last week of the season. Mm-hmm. They they were the had did have the number one odds and kind of won a few games that they probably shouldn't have, and that dropped them to number three. But it worked out. And they got the number one pick anyways. Anaheim had the best odds at over 25%, followed by Columbus was second on odds at 13.5%. Up until Chicago leapfrogged both Anaheim and Columbus, the lottery played out exactly accordingly to the odds from pick 16 to number three, which was, and I'll kind of reference our live show. I was a little bit shell-shocked and confused. Like, is something wrong here? Because it no. just seemed inconceivable. Well, that- it, it, you got, I, I thought more about it, and I read the lottery process again. There's really only two draws. All they do is they pick the number one team, then they that's the number one, and then they oh. do another draw for whoever's second, and then the rest falls into line, is how I believe it went. Oh, okay. Well, then that makes sense. Yeah, that's... I was so... I was confused on that too, but once I read the process again, I was like, oh, that makes sense. I mean, one of those teams at the bottom could have jumped. We could have had a a jump earlier than it did, but yeah. The last time, Troy, that Chicago had the number one overall pick was in 2007 when they took, you remember? Oh, I know. Patty Kane. Yeah, Patty Kane. So not bad to have the number one pick. And the worst is to get to the number one pick in a year where there's no really good prospects. That's what would happen to the Wild if they ever got that pick. Well, the good thing this year, too, is that it's a pretty deep prospect pool. At, they're calling it top-heavy this oh, yeah. year. Top-heavy. So I want to do our Bedard conversation really in three parts. So first we'll tackle kind of the market fit and what's best for the NHL and the game of hockey and its growth potential. Then we'll look at the team fit, the hockey fit, like what the how good are the Blackhawks, what do they need to do to build around him, and then we'll look at the hobby impact. So from a market fit and opportunity point of view, uh, well, first of all, do you think Chicago fans were excited? And we were kind of sharing this together. Within an hour and a half of Chicago <laughs> winning the lottery, the Blackhawks had already sold $2.5 million in season ticket sales that included, Troy, more than 500 new season ticket holders. So, yeah, I think That's they're crazy. pretty jacked up. That's crazy. And our contention all along is that what's best for the game would be for Bedard to go to a market that's number one in the U.S., I'll, again, reference that Snoop Dogg quote that we talked about on last show about Connor McDavid, where I'm going to read it again, just because I I think it really illustrates this point. And Snoop says, the NHL doesn't know who to market. Yeah, Like, McDavid is the best athlete in the world, 
But you talk to most folks in the U.S. and they have no clue who the F he is. Didn't swear there, but you get the point. So I think having him in the U.S. will make him, the exposure will be so much more here and a lot easier to market to the American audience than it is a player in mm-hmm. Edmonton, of of course. So does Bedard, having Bedard in the U.S. solve the NHL marketing problems? No, but again, it, it makes it an easy situation for a lot of us to be able to see him play. Chicago, of course, is in the central time zone, meaning it'll be easy for both ESPN and TNT to schedule national TV games that they need to start at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock on the East Coast. It's hard to do that when you're in, in mm-hmm. Anaheim, right? So I think that'll be a big boom. Chicago is also the third largest TV market in the U.S., which is helpful. And it's an original six storied franchise. It's it's really a ideal situation for the game of hockey. You know, whether you like the Blackhawks or not, and believe me, and I think I speak for you, we're wild fans. So we've been rivals with the Blackhawks for many years and don't love seeing them get a potential superstar. But again, for the game to, it's like put up on a tee for the NHL to whiff. Yep. (laughs) Like they, it is. It's really, it's really do. up to the NHL to blow it with this one. If they were, they just, they can't blow it with him. Going back to McDavid real quick too, for as many reasons as you can make the argument that it's good spot for him in Edmonton. There's just as many arguments that you could make that maybe it'd be better for him to be in the U S too. Right. And so for all the reasons we talked about, and I guess the way I look at it, if Bedard pans out as the hockey world hopes it does, then you kind of get the best of both worlds. You have this really great Canadian player in Canada. You have one in the U S and it just is a good thing. I I think for, for the game. So my market fit grade, like of all the places you could go, I think is an A plus. It's a huge opportunity for the NHL. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree a hundred percent that that's where we said he should end up. I think it puts a lot of nice pieces in place for the NHL. And like I said, it's up to them to blow this or the Blackhawks to blow this. I don't know how you want to say it, but I do in a way hate, I actually hate that the Blackhawks did get rewarded for tanking, even though they tried to blow it at the end and screw that up. They do get rewarded for tanking. And it's not like Chicago hasn't had championships recently. It's just, they just, I mean, they lucked into it and congrats to them, but I do think it's the right place that he should have ended up for the growing the game in the U S and the hobby. Okay. Let's switch now to the hockey opportunity and team fit for, especially in the short term for Bedard. And this is where I admit that I had kind of glossed over. I was just so focused on get the kid in the U S get him in the central Eastern time zone. And admittedly, I haven't been paying super close attention to the Blackhawks roster. And there was a part of me that after about two minutes, Troy was like, Maybe it'd be better off in Anaheim because holy <laughs> smokes are the cupboards bare in Chicago. There is nobody. I, so I did. have you looked at their roster? I did a little bit, not that in depth, but I remember reading an article where they're talking about if Bedard does go to Chicago, like they're going to need free. They got to, I mean, I know they have tons of money under the cap. They're going to have to sign some free agents to get him some help because their roster itself is pretty, pretty bare. Yeah. Like you said. Currently on their roster, they had two 20-goal scorers in the regular season. Uh, Andreas Athanasio, is that how you say his name? <laughs> it's like the hardest name in the NHL. So Looks great. Looks, we, I think you said it perfect. Yeah. I'm going to be – let's be confident that you said it right, and then <laughs> we'll get told that we were way off. Well, he had 20 goals, 28-year-old center, 
he had scored 30 goals one other time in his career, but typically like a 15 goal a season guy played eight years. Now he's also a pending unrestricted free agent. Then the only other guy who had 20 goals was Taylor Radish. Who's 25 second NHL season had 11 goals between Chicago and Tampa Bay in year one. So not a lot of goal scoring pedigree there. Leading point guys from this past season that are still in the roster were Athanasio with Athanasio, I guess, with 40 points. And Seth Jones and Taylor Radish each had 37 points. So adding Bedard will be a huge piece, but they're going to need to beef up this roster, though, via their prospect pool or free agency or trades, because, like I said, covers are pretty bare. On the, so I did some research on the prospects, Troy, and I think I kind of went through their top three or four maybe, but most people are aware with the number one prospect, Lucas Reichel. Well, he's probably the number two prospect now, right? He's a 20-year-old center slash wing, selected 17th overall in the 2020 draft. This past season in the AHL, he had 20 goals, 31 assists for 51 points and 51 games played, so point-per-game guy. In the AHL and the NHL, he played 23 games, had – Pretty decent numbers, Troy. Seven goals, eight assists for 15 points. I read a bunch of articles about him. It seems like consistency, and especially like on the defensive end, looking to get a little bit bigger or stronger, like he's 20, uh, are some of the things that they want him to work on. But he's probably the most NHL-ready prospect that they have. Then they have an 18-year-old defenseman named Kevin Korchinski, who was actually the seventh overall pick in last summer's draft. He was acquired, Troy, in the Debrincat trade with Ottawa. I was like, that, Korchinski name, that, that name sounds so familiar, and that's probably where I heard it. He played for Seattle in the WHL last year and was actually a big point producer. He's a defenseman. He had 11 goals, 62 assists for 73 points and 54 games played. 18 years old, though. I don't know how NHL-ready he'll be at this point. It seems like a stretch to move him up. And I know, well, I got to throw this other stat in here, true, because it just kind of blew my mind. But I know you're not entirely a plus-minus guy. He was a plus 50 in the yeah. WHL season last year. So that's got to mean something, right? Yeah, when it's that high, you you start thinking, well, maybe there's something to it. The next best prospect seems to be a, a kid named Frank Nazar, who's 19 years old, 5'9 center, currently at University of Michigan. He was selected 13th overall in last summer's NHL entry draft. So they have the number seven pick from last summer, the number 13 pick. And then from the year before, they have the number 17 pick. The story, though, on Nazar is he was expected to have a big freshman season this year at Michigan, but had hip surgery though, and missed a good chunk of the year. I think he came back right at the end. He's going to return to Michigan next year for a yeah. sophomore season, so he won't be an immediate help. So it seems like overall they have a decent pipeline of rookies. It's just hard to judge at this point, not being a scout or living and breathing this area of hockey Who's going to be, it seems like Reichel is probably the only guy you could really count on right away, unless it's some other guys that are more advanced in their development that are further down their prospect list. That's kind of the prospect report that you could build around Bedard. And, you know, Reichel could be a good option for a line mate. And then there's, so, so there's free agency. You had mentioned that this cap space, they have a ton of it, 41 million the number one team. So that's helpful. So I went through Troy and did a list of all the pending unrestricted free agents. I'll just go down the list quickly and you stop me if any of these names are interesting to you and I'll maybe point out a couple myself. So there's Patrick Kane. I just don't see that happening. I wouldn't know if you, if you moved on with him now, just it's over. 
he was a great player for your organization in a long time. I would not bring him back. Like there's too many complications. Now Taves is still under contract. That's what I was going to say. So I'm going to put a plug in here. If anyone ever wants a website that shows you the most in-depth roster salary stuff you will ever want or know, it's called Cap Friendly. It is a gold mine. And I was just looking, that actually just caught my eye. I was like, oh, he's still signed? Where he's an unrestricted yeah. free agent next year, 23-24. But for some reason, I was thinking he was gone, and I didn't. I brain farted there, but yeah. Would it be a good idea to kiss and make up for another year and have him mentor him? Yeah, I don't know how many hurt feelings there are. But yes, I think having him as a mentor, if he would be willing to do that, would be fantastic. Yeah. You couldn't ask. We kind of talked about it with Jeremy. You almost couldn't ask for a better scenario there. Next guy is actually, I mean, we poke fun a lot at Ryan O'Reilly. But be great. I, the more I'm thinking about it, that's not a bad fit for him. No. Big veteran presence. Who knows if he can stay healthy all next year. Then there's Tarasenko. I don't I don't think so, do you? Nah. Kyle Ocposo, Timo Meyer, Jason Zucker. Boy, these these names are just <laughs> screaming <laughs> screaming at us, aren't they? Holy cow. Evgeny Dadanov. He's looked pretty good for mm-hmm. Dallas. I don't know if they'll try to resign him, but that might be. What about Tyler Bertuzzi? Put a little feisty guy yeah. in a, prote- a little bit of a tr- protector. I think I think Bertuzzi's someone they're going to go after. You and not that I have inside sources, but you read enough beat writers and pundits, and they're all touting Bertuzzi as someone they're really targeting. So I could see Bertuzzi okay. be one of those guys. Thomas Tartar. I just like his last name. Yeah. Nick Felino, I don't know what his situation is in, in Boston. He's another guy that'd be just a tough winger that could be a little bit of a protector, but I'm not sure if he'll get re-signed. Uh, JT Comfer? I actually know his sister more than I know him because she plays oh, in Wisconsin. Really? Yeah, she plays in Wisconsin. So I've seen more I've probably seen more games of her playing than it. Eric Halla. That one's kind of interesting to me. I've been watching him. He's really impressed me more so than when he was on the wild a number of years ago with the devils. And it seems like that from what I've read that they want like speedy wingers mm-hmm. that can, and he might fit the bill there. Uh, yes, for fast Michael bunting. I, I don't see that happening. I think you stay away from bunting. Let's show Max Domi. Suspensions. Domi. I, can I don't see, see it. Well, I was, really? I was thinking Domi is he okay. This is where Troy fails miserably. Who was Domi? He's on in Chicago, Dallas or is he on? Yeah, Dallas? he was on Chicago. And they traded him to Dallas. That's right. Okay. I had, I, my brain was like going around in circles. Cause I'm like, I thought he was on Chicago. But I wonder if they maybe try to bring him back. I think might be an interesting play. Yeah, and then do they bring back Andreas Athanasio? That's the list. I mean, it's not like there's no Mitch Marner on the list. No, to or... me, the interesting one is Taves. Like, I think that's a very interesting idea. But I don't know if they want to go down that route. And then the other option would be trades. They they seem to have a decent prospect pool. It's rated number five. I forgot to mention that. So. Uh, while they're number one, just got to throw that in there. <laughs> we have nothing else. Going for <laughs> we us. have nothing else going for us. Our coach is coming back. They had to write. So maybe, maybe they package some prospects or some picks and try to put a team. But the bottom line is you have to assume they'll be active this summer. To You can't hang this kid out to dry. No. Right? Because as the team is presently constituted, he's just going to get killed. And they'll just completely key in on him. And he's not Superman. He can't play a team by himself. Anything else on the hockey fit, or should we move you know, on to I, the hobby impact? I was thinking about one thing. I just, I'm looking up his contract status. What about going to get Ryan Reeves? He's unrestricted free agent. If you need someone to protect protect your uh, new shiny toy, he might be someone you can get. You can get him cheap. 
Reeves ain't what about coming. Our guy? Reeves, <laughs> I want what's the that? Wild to sign him. Well, I know. I, I get want you. the Wild to re-sign him. I get you, but I thought that would might be an interesting play too. Just not from a yeah. pure hockey. He's not going to get you some, a lot of points and goals, but a little protection there for a cheap amount of money. Okay, let's look at the hobby. So, key question: Is Connor Bedard landing in Chicago a home run for the hobby? In your opinion? I think so. Why not? I mean, original six team, huge market, third biggest television market. You got the Nationals there every, what, couple years, two to three years. You're going to have silly patches, hopefully. And I will give yeah. a shout out. I think it was Mitch Grotman who said, Upper Deck better take pictures and show every single one of those patch cards that they make for him so we don't have any fakes because, boy, if you're going to fake a card, that's probably one to do it. I think it's a great spot for him to land in for the hobby. Yeah, it's just going to be, I think, a total fever pitch all next year. It'll start, so just to kind of talk through for all of us how this will play out, is it's going to start with MVP. You're going to have your silver scripts, your gold scripts. Those are going to go for stupid money, and then they'll immediately be forgotten when the Young Guns comes out. What about the super but, script? The super script yeah. out of 25. Yeah, who knows what they might do for MVP for Bedard, we could see rookie sets next year like we haven't seen before. And then we got to remember, too, that artifacts will likely come out before Series 2. So you'll have Bedard in artifacts, sort of, because it'll most likely 99% it'll be a redemption. So we're going to have crazy expensive Bedard MVP cards <laughs> and then these like stupid like num- Roman numeral redemption yeah. cards that are going to be going for $2,000 on, on eBay left or more on eBay left left or right but really the first in hard in hand card should be upper deck series 2 and the reason being and so I do want to cover real quickly sort of the series 1 series 2 when upper deck shifted their printing of flagship and whatever other products they do to Italy that created more production time. Cause of course you have to ship cards over the ocean. Got to put them on a boat, put them on a boat and get them through customs and all that good stuff. So it really has limited them to using what they term as holdover rookies. I haven't got like an exact definition of that, but that would be mm-hmm. like a remember too, that in order to be in young guns, you have to have skated on the ice in an NHL game in an NHL uniform. So that would, that's where we get, the uh, notion that like a Matthew Nyes. I was going to say, that, or, that's nice. That sounds like Nyes to me right there. Yeah. Luke Hughes, yeah. right? Those are the guys yep. that are going to be in series one. So it'll put Bedard in series two. And I think the key thing there to me that I keep thinking about is that adds risk to the whole Bedard. Yep. If Bedard yep. was in series one and he had two games under his belt or whatever, and the preseason when it comes out, it's a total fever pitch hoopla. Everybody's going crazy. If you look at when Series 2 came out this year, it's four, four and a half months into the season. Mm -hmm. So what could happen? Is he playing in the NHL? Well, I think there's a good chance that's happening. It's not going to. Can you imagine if Bedard was in Shane Wright press box? How people would. That'd be not good. But then it comes down to how many points is he producing? He may be on such a horrible team that he has almost no chance to put up big numbers, right? If the team's got awful. Is he healthy? A lot of people I've heard reference the Connor McDavid situation where he got injured right away. And all this stuff is going to factor into when Series 2 finally comes out, kind of where the market and how crazy people are going to go. And so why I wanted to run through that, Troy, is if, if in your mind it's like, well, I'm cashing in my 401k and I'm going to 
pre-order cases of series two, you have to acknowledge that there's going to be, there's an element of risk there Mm -hmm. that exists because it is series two rather than if it was series one. Yep. That's the big uh, uncertainty right now. I hope it doesn't happen, but you got to factor it in, right? Everything's risk reward and you're going to have a three to four months of sitting on your hands and just praying that nothing happens to him. If you're a Bedard believer. And then with that, hoping that he's scoring, I don't know, he has 30 goals or 20 goals by the time series two comes out. The funnest part of Monday was the sort of Bedard effect when (laughs) tracking Lucas Reichel. The comp C sales that the one guy, Oh my gosh, I forgot his name. I feel terrible. I should have wrote it down, but I'm an idiot. But yeah, the one guy was, was it Schwabs or Siba oh, or Schwabs? One of them was given. Are they one were the our C Lucas Reichel young guy correspondent? Oh, yeah, correspondent. Right. I just checked before we start recording, and Reichel is still selling around twenty six dollars US raw. So on April 29th, as an example, and I picked that day because there's three sales. They yeah. were all like six dollars and fifty cents. So <laughs> what's that? Four X. That's great. Just the sort of the Bedard factor, the Bedard effect, if yeah. you want to call it that. And the last thing I'll say about the hobby. I've been thinking about this a little bit too over the last few days is how amazing next year could really be in our hobby and how much fun it should be. And I keep reminding myself to make sure that I enjoy it. Not only are we going to have this generational talent in the social media era with finding out all the big hits right away and the instant communication, but we still have Crosby. We're going to have Ovi getting closer and closer to Gretzky's goal mark. We have Dreisaitl, McDavid, Matthews, some really talented young players and Zegras, Hughes, Robertson, Caulfield, Tage Thompson, right? It's it's kind of, it feels like the glory days are upon us. Any closing marks you have on Bedard? No, I just wanted to get here. Now we got the fun summer waiting game. We'll have the actual draft. That'll be fun. But it's funny. It's more, it. It's going to be who's going to go two, three, four over who's going number one, where last year it was who's going to go number one. So that will be interesting to see, but I can't wait. And just really quickly, too, I can get pretty excited about Adam Fantilli with Zegras and McTavish yeah. and Jamie Drysdale on Anaheim. So well, then, pretty decent yeah, consolation And prize. that unknown Russian guy that <laughs> not, like unknown, or whatever. not not unknown, yeah. but a lot of speculation around him and questions and he keeps moving up down people's rankings it's like no one really knows what to make of him okay we're gonna switch over to hobby news really quick some kind of sad or bummer news out of colorado avalanche captain gabriel landeskog is expected troy to miss the 2023-24 nhl season and will undergo a cartilage transplant in his right knee that does not sound good that sounds horrible like so i'm assuming they put it in and it grows and does its thing and i don't know It'll be his fourth surgery since 2020. Unfortunately, he's had a pretty rough go of it these past couple years. He is intent on playing again, which, of course, you have to admire. And I I read some articles and he said he's going to exhaust every possibility. He still thinks he has a lot to contribute to the game. It got me thinking, though, and I was curious to get your perspective on this because you've been a lot more on hockey teams than I have, but... At what point do you think the Avs would appoint a new captain? I know they don't want to disrespect Landeskog in the least, but he's been a great captain for them. But if the captain truly is an important position on the team, he hasn't been there in two years. Yeah, I would I would give the C to someone else. No questions asked just for the upcoming season. Did I don't know what they did. What did they do this year? I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I mean you, I get it. You don't want to disrespect him, but you you gotta move on eventually. I mean, four surgeries in, what, 
three years doesn't sound very promising. At least it's not the hip shaving. I think that's the one that yeah. <laughs> is the worst. But and he's still is that young. Nicholas Baxter, he's man, still young, man. Landis guy. Yeah, he's only thirty. It's not like yeah. I mean, he's not a spring chicken, but it's like that's kind of concerning. Hopefully, when you don't have cartilage in your knee, though, that's oh, not a bone on bone. <laughs> The Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy finalists have been announced. I know you you stayed up all night, right? I stayed up all night trying to pronounce it because every time I've read that name for an award, I say Masterson. I don't know why. It's just how I am. I know it's Masterton, but I have been corrected many a time on that. But you said it right, so good job. And he's a nice guy. I actually was (laughs) was looking at a instagram post from nhl.com and they spelled it masterson ha, which suckers. was kind of funny suckers. they tried to trick me <laughs> the bill masterton memorial trophy is awarded annually to the player who best exemplifies the quality of perseverance sportsmanship and dedication to hockey so it's basically the perseverance award finalists this year are clayton keller chris letang and alex stalock feels like it's almost a slam dunk for chris letang given he had another stroke this year and came back yeah almost right away and had to deal with his father passing too, right? Something like that. Yeah, I think so. so. Yeah, it was pretty rough. And uh, just in case anyone's newer to the game, Bill Masterton, Masterton, is the only NHL player to die from the result of an on-ice injury. I didn't know that. Yeah, really. Yeah, it was with the North Stars. In other news, uh, these kind of next two stories are a little bit related, but so Fanatics Live, Troy, is really starting to ramp up they're now accepting applications from breakers. So that must mean that they, and I think they had said like Q3 or Q4 mm-hmm. this year is when they plan to go live. Uh, it's on their, the applications on their link tree in their Instagram where you can go apply. And then here's another one that really kind of threw me today a little bit. And I got this from Coach Co's TikTok. Again, go follow him on TikTok. He has amazing hobby updates and news. So apparently DraftKings is getting into breaking now too. Can I bet on the breaks? No, they're doing it in the weirdest way. I spent like 45 minutes trying to figure this out. Okay, let's hear this. So they're starting with 2018-19 Prison Basketball, which is like the Luka Doncic, okay. Ja Morant year, I think I think it's Ja Morant. And their format, though, is crazy. And I've never seen this before. Maybe you have. So they're auctioning off, quote-unquote, like tickets. And okay. one ticket is two packs. So a box of Prison Basketball has 12 packs in it so they would auction six different tickets and that would fill the break because each ticket is two packs you following i am not because harley is howling so i, I don't hate i hate to do this can you start over <laughs> okay. i'm horrible so they're they're auctioning off tickets and one ticket equals two packs okay and there's 12 packs in a box so they have six kind of spots okay. or tickets that they're calling gotcha. them, which is a very strange way to put it and it starts at a hundred dollars with ten dollar bid increments so they're just, and I think they're doing like four boxes and it's today, it's May 11th. So the day our podcast comes out, but what's kind of funny is like when you go on their website and you go to their page, Troy, they don't even like tell you like where you watch the break. So you can tell that they're like super new to this. And I don't know if they spent any time on whatnot or any other platform trying to figure out how breaks work, but I don't know. It's a sign that you have these companies like DraftKings that are seeing the money and seeing the opportunity and breaking, and I guess they're giving it a shot. They're calling it the break. It's kind of funny, too. But. Do you think they're just trying to confuse you so much that you don't realize how much money you're spending? It's like when you go to a theme park and they sell you stuff. Stuff isn't in dollars. It's in tickets. So you have to buy tickets. Yeah. It, is, it is literally just like that. You buy tickets to go on the carnival rides. 
it's not dollars. You they you kind of forget how much you're spending. But oh boy, that seems really odd that DraftKings is getting into breaking. But like you said, follow the money. Always follow the money. I think it's a good thing. The more you can expose cards to different audiences, the better. And they probably see the connection with sports betting, of course, and people spend money on sports and people spend boy, money on I'm just cards. Think, so. I'm thinking, like, could they do kind of a deal? Boy, this would get dicey, I bet, legally, but maybe. You do a break, you buy, say you get the Edmonton Oilers. As a promotion, you also get the Oilers uh, money line for that night. Or just trying to do something oh, wow. like promotions with gambling. I don't know how legal that is or what dicey regulation stuff they'd get into, but my mind's a racing. Yeah, the DGen side of you is uh and I don't even, woken up. I don't sports bet because we I'm a good guy. They we don't have it in Minnesota. When I go to Iowa I'll put it like a dollar on something. You would when they I'm assuming they'll legalize it in Minnesota at some point, you I can tell will be the king of eighty five different one to two dollars. I know. I'll have one dollar bets, two dollar bets. I, I'll, I'll be showing my wife. Look at this bet. I won. I won thirty cents. Okay, we got to move on. It's time for our PWCC weekly hockey preview. PWCC is a Gong Show partner and sponsor. We want to thank them for helping us to make our show possible too. The current PWCC auction Troy is live on PWCCMarketplace.com. One hundred ninety hockey cards in this week's. Weekly auction. As always, we pick out some of our favorite vintage and modern cards, and we'll go through them now, starting with vintage. The first card that I selected is a 1964 Tops Stan Makita PSA six. It's a Tall Boy. You love the Tall Boys. Top fifty five. Love the Tall Boys. You're a big fan. You love the Tall Boys. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm fine with them. I don't hate them. I don't love them. I like them better. Like in this case, when they're graded, Mm -hmm. and I know that they're protected in the slab because I don't have to worry about them being an untraditional size Mm -hmm. and getting dinged or bent or anything like that. I've always been a fan of this set. Like Stan Makita, appreciate him and his story. And for PSA 6, this is a really nice card. I'll get into that in a second. First of all, it's not super rare at Pop 55. There's 160 graded higher. It's just a really cool representation of a legendary NHL player and his career. It is a mid-career card, too, as Makita's rookie is the 1960 tops. And looking at the design, Troy, Tallboy card, of course, they have a yellow background. Nice picture of Makita in that classic Blackhawk sweater from about the knees up. Condition-wise, a tiny bit off center from right to left, but the card really, for PSA 6, looks super, super nice. If you don't know anything about Makita or not super aware of him, he's a Hall of Fame center from the Slovak Republic, played his entire 22-year career with the Blackhawks. We have a lot of big Blackhawks team today. We got Bedard, yeah. of course, Hosa, and Marion Hossa, yeah. and Stan Makita now. In 1961, he became the first Slovak-born player, Troy, to win the Stanley Cup. I was going to say, you know oh, who boy. another Slovak player is that won the Stanley Cup? Marion Hossa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was born in Czechoslovakia, but he played for Slovakia. He was regarded, Mikita was regarded as one of the best NHL centers of the 1960s. He scored 541 goals, 926 assists, for 1,467 points, and 1,394 career games. He won the Hart Trophy Troy in 1967 and 68, the Art Ross in 64, 65, 67, and 68, so four times there. Only did win the one Stanley Cup in 1961, though. It was his third season in the league. In 2017, he was named to the NHL's 100 Greatest Players list. An all-time high sale for 1964 tops. Stan Makita, PSA 6, Pop 55, was $300 US in March 2022. Most recent sale was a lot lower 
at 94 US dollars this past January. And when you get prices like this on lower grade cards that there's higher, more copies or there's more population, a lot of the pricing comes down to the condition of the card. There's going to be a spectrum of PSA 6s. Some don't look really good and some look really mm-hmm. good like this card. So, uh, and that's again, another one of the reasons why I picked this one specifically, because I think for a PSA 6, it's a really, really nice representation. What do you have the current bid? I do. It is 21 US dollars. Ooh, huge money. Huge money. All right. All right. You got the next one. My turn. I love it. 1970 Russian national team postcards. Vladislav Tretriak. PSA 3. Okay. Again, I got to find. Wait, wait, before you get started, can I just make one comment? Yep. So it just seems like the last couple months, I tend to look at the auctions first. I'm getting so good. I can like. I wish I could bet on DraftKings or FanDuel <laughs> which card Troy's going to pick. Because I saw this card, and I'm like, oh, there it is. Troy's pick with a bullet, for sure. Now, where you didn't get asked the question, it's like, oh, do you have anything about Tretriac that you want to tell us? I actually have trained with Tretriac. He was in North Dakota when I went to the international, oh, I can't remember. It's like some international hockey school for a goalie camp. And Tim Chevalier and... Tretriak were the goal instructors. Fascinating guy. Really cool. Complete Russian. It was awesome. He was great. The thing that was great about him was telling us the stories of his training. And it's like nowadays, kids would die. They would just die from the training they did. It was insane. If you ever see footage of like the Red Army team and their dry land training, it's just something else. Did he hold like an Oreo to his ear? <laughs> Very ugly acid. Yeah, yeah. Was that a little rounders? A little rounders action? Yeah. First time we brought rounders, rounders up action. on the show. All right, this card. And, well, let's technically, it's it's not a hockey card. It's a postcard, but I'm calling it a hockey card. It's PSA graded it. It is a PSA 3. Pop of this card is 5 with only two graded cards. The pop of this PSA 3 is 5, and there's only two that are graded higher. I still hate how they word that sometimes. There are nine total graded copies of this card. But this one, again, is a PSA 3. And, again, it's a postcard. But it looks absolutely great. The front has a kind of a profile pick of Tretriac to the left-hand side. I said it takes him about a third of the card. But he's looking very dapper, very young. He's got the nice, I don't know what you call the suit on. Just looking very regal. The right two-thirds of the card has an action shot of Tretriac and net. And just look at it. The equipment, the helmet, I don't even know what that thing's supposed to be. I think he's got the Montreal stick, the awesome 70s goalie pads, early or late 60s goalie pads. It just looks great. I love the history that you can tell just from looking at this card. There is a little facsimile auto under his profile picture. But man, if you look at the picture, that thing looks real. Like it's oh, it's bluish and it looks like it's a blue ink. I actually did go out and find other sale or other copies of this with different PSA numbers to make sure. Because it looks really good for a facsimile. But all of them are dead on identical. So I'm going to say it's a facsimile. On the back of the card, there's some Russian text. If you know Russian, you can read it. But again, it's a postcard, so there's lots of room to write an address, put your stamp, write your little message. And I actually just love that it's Tretriak because he's one of those guys. He's like this great mystery, arguably one of the greatest goalies in the history of hockey. I don't think you'll find many people that don't say that. However, never got a chance to play in the NHL. He was stuck in the Soviet Union with the Red Army. Montreal did draft him in 1983, but the Soviet Union government was having none of that, and they wouldn't let him come over to play. 
They needed to tear down that wall. Tear down that wall, Mr. Gorbachev. Yep. Eventually it happened, but not before. Not Didn't happen in time for Tretriak to play in the NHL. It would have been awesome. I think Tretriak really came into the radar of Canadians in the 72 Summit Series when Soviet Union and Canada played each other. He is the first player born and trained outside North America to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Thought that was pretty interesting. Wow, one, that is cool. Yeah, he won three Olympic gold medals, one silver medal. He's also won ten golds, two silvers, and one bronze at the World Championships. If you are a U.S. based hockey fan, I'll say casual hockey fan, most U.S. fans will know him from the being the opposing goalie in the Miracle on Ice game. That's all I got for for Tretiak for his little bio. But PS3 or PSA three copy of this card, the most recent sale I could find was February eleventh. 2023 for 150 US dollars. Current bid. Very cool. Yeah, current bid on this card right now is 47 US dollars. So I am curious what this gets to. I just, and remember, it's a postcard. It's not yeah. technically a hockey card, it's a postcard. Well, in our vintage card picks, you stretched a little bit with the Trechiak postcard. I'm stretching <laughs> a little bit with a 1996. Oh, 96 is vintage. Calling it vintage. Ah, controversy, controversy. Hobby drama. <laughs> Hobby drama. So uh, we're going to say it's vintage just because I wanted to talk about this card. And this really speaks to why I like the segment so much is it really, this is where I learn more about yeah. stuff that I never knew about. I think both of us kind of pick cards that are interesting to us that we just don't know a lot about. And I picked the 1996 Upper Deck Lord Stanley's Heroes Semifinals Wayne Gretzky, which is out of a thousand PSA eight, which is pop four with none graded higher. So Lord Stanley's Heroes was an insert in the 1996-97 Upper Deck set that had three levels. There was a quarterfinals that had pack odds of 1 in 37 and were all numbered out of 5,000. Semifinals, which this card is, of the Gretzky, pack odds of 1 in 185, die cut, numbered out of 1,000. And then there's a finals with pack odds of 1 in 1,850 packs, another die cut card numbered out of 100. So this is that middle tier semifinals. There's 20 players on the checklist highlighted by Gretzky, of course, and this is a Gretzky card. It's a hologram die cut of the Stanley Cup that has Gretzky in in the middle of it. Kind of hard to make out. It, you have to get it in the right angle. Yeah, the, the picture but doesn't I, do it justice, I'm assuming. I just think kind of a really cool card that and as, as I've gotten more interested in the mid to late 90s inserts, really stood out to me you don't see the middle tier or the semifinals sell very often i could only find two raw sales mm. from the past couple of years there's a 78 us dollar sale back in april 2022 33 us dollar sale back in august of 2022 and again this is a psa 8 none graded higher so if it's a card that's of interest to you it's going to be one of the better representations of it. You got the current bid? I do. 11 US dollars. Nobody bid. <laughs> Nobody bid. Gotcha. Well, there is also a PSA 9 version of a out of the 5,000, whatever that one is. So there's two. Yeah. I don't know what the 5,000. You guys go bid on that yeah, one. Yeah, go bid on that leave one. This leave one for leave that, this one for Josh. All right. What do we have? Modern cards? All right. You got the We're first. We're going to modern. Okay. So I one. go first again. So for modern, I picked a 2020 The Cup Connor McDavid. 03 Exquisite Tribute Patch Auto out of 25, PSA 9. So if you're a fan of Exquisite, like most people know I am, this card takes you back kind of to where it all started. It's the card design that's most synonymous with the LeBron James rookie from 2003. We had Carbon Chung on the show who talked about 
designing. It's the card. It's the rookie card for LeBron James. Only 5.2 million is the highest sale ever from 2021 of that LeBron James rookie. So again, it's, it's that same design. It's a regular style card or sort of up and down orientation for a rookie pat or patch auto. It's kind of like three, the card is broken down. I'd say like into three, like a top and middle and bottom. The top has a pretty waist, waist high up picture of McDavid. In the middle, there's a really nice three color patch, which is game used, of course. And then at the bottom, a nice McDavid auto. I couldn't find any sales yet. Mm. And, you know, this just came out a couple months ago. It's only out of 25. So I'm really fascinated to see where this will land. Last time I did check, though, it did have the highest bid for any hockey card in this week's PWCC Weekly Auction. Do you got the current bid on that? 2800 US dollars. So it's going to be a decent chase. That's for sure. All right. You got the next one? I do have the next one. All right. Our next card. Oh, boy. 2020 Metal Universe Alliance Gold. Sidney Crosby. Aveg- oh, God. Just whatever. Malkin. Out of 25. BGS 8.5. BGS. Evgeny is your kryptonite. <laughs> this is my kryptonite. BGS population, one of one with none graded higher. Josh, when you look through, did you think this was one I would take? Now I'm gonna we're going to play this game. No, actually, this oh. is a little bit of a surprise to me. I, yes, I took this because I think I mentioned it on another show. I'm a sucker for cards that look like you're having a fever dream. A fever dream. When you look at it. Yeah, them. there you go. And this definitely looks like you're having a fever dream. It looks like you're Josh. You got covid you're having sweats. You're waking up in the middle of the night with your fever dreams, and this is the card you see. That's what I imagine. I've never seen one of these in person, so full disclosure. I think the picture looks great. It looks crazy. I love it. I love the look of the picture. I like that it's a gold parallel, so it's out of 25, and it has two all-time greats on it with Crosby and Malkin. Here's where I get tongue up. I'm trying to I'm gonna do like a research paper, but I think I might have figured it out. But I know someone out there is smarter has the answer. What in what in the world does alloyance mean? So the card is called an alloyance. So I started thinking about it. Really, I have no clue, but I'm figuring there's two people on the card. Maybe it's a play on elite alliance. And then the card. Well, it's in metal. Yeah, and, and then the card looking alloy. like an alloy. That's what I said. The card looks like an yeah. alloy. A play on alliance. Is that how you get alloyance? Cousin from Boston. That's what it sounds like. Alliance. So that's what I'm going right. with. This isn't a, this isn't a science show. This is a hockey card. <laughs> that's okay, what I'm going let's with. Let's get back to being dumb and talking about hockey. Yeah. So I'm going with that. I'm sure someone will let me know if I'm way off base. Again, we're not going to go too much into it. It's just a great looking card. It's a fever dream. It's got two greats on it for Pittsburgh, and it's serial number 25 or out of 25. I cannot okay. find any graded BGS copies of this card that's sold. But I did find a PSA 9 copy that sold in March of 2023. It's a PSA 9, March of 2023 sale for $127.50. And a PSA 8 copy of this card did sell on May 6th of this year for $5 US dollars. That's a pretty big drop from the PSA PSA 9 to the PSA 8. This one is a BGS 9.5, or sorry, a BGS 8.5, and its current bid is 19 US dollars. So you're you're greater than five, so you've beat that. Does this mean BGS is now better than PSA? Yeah, it might maybe it is. Did this we, is the one card. It? This is where we're putting our stakes down on this card that BGS has now come back after everything. Oh, we'll get into them later. We got all types of fun stuff in mailbag. All right, last card that we're going to feature in our modern section is a 2012 Fleer Retro Wayne Gretzky EX 2001 Jambalaya BGS 8.5. 
I've said this before on the show, but I ne- I personally never got the concept of Jambalaya until I saw one in person, mm-hmm. and the, especially in a really good light. And there's a isn't in Champlin here in Minnesota. Yep. I would give them a plug, but I can't remember the name of the store that they. It was a basketball one too, but we saw the card and we were like, "Whoa, it's, those are cool!" It's like the most basic name ever. It's like real sports cards or something like that. I don't Some, something like I don't that. know exactly, but do you want to buy my? So you got to do you want to buy my Jack Eichel Jambalaya? No. Oh. You got to see one in person to really get it. As far as Gretzky goes, his first Jambalaya was in 2008-2009 Fleer Retro. That card, Troy, featured Wayne in the Oilers uniform. For this card, the 2012-13, Gretzky's rocking the King sweater. Okay, so you got to rank for me your preferred Gretzky uniform in any card. Like, what do you... Oh, that's easy. Do you get Edmonton, Kings, Rangers, Blues. I would be the same way. To me, the blues are like on a different planet yeah, just... <laughs> than the like. Yeah, that's I mean, like Bobby Orr in a Chicago Blackhawks jersey. It just doesn't. Well, you know what I call right. the blues cards, right? That's also the a little bit of New York too. It's the uh, turtleneck era. Oh, yeah. for Wayne Gretzky yeah, for sure. I would like that to be an official era. Is anyone has a contact at NHL <laughs> that can make that happen? That would be that would be great. So pack odds to hit a jambalaya in. 2012 Fleer Retro is one in 360 packs. There's 21 players on the checklist. Do you know that Pelly Lindbergh is a Jambalaya in 2012-13 Fleer Retro? I did not know that, but I would know that if I was a good person because friend of the show, Irish Flyer Collectors, created a fantastic spreadsheet that I still haven't had time to go in and look at of all... I think he did Pelly. Yeah, he did Pelly. He did a Pelly Lindbergh one, but he did uh, Pekka Rene too. But since I'm... That would be an awesome card. Yeah, be fantastic. I and I meant to look it up. I have not yet, but I kind of want to see what it looks like. So pretty tough chase overall to get the the Gretzky all time high sale for 2012 Fleer Retro Gretzky Jambalaya BGS 8.5 was three thousand eight hundred fifty dollars last May. One did recently sell for fifteen hundred eighty five, so it came down a lot. Who knows where this will end up? But what's the current bid? 975 US dollars. All right, we're going to move on to new product releases. As far as what's coming out next, I don't know. Oh, are we back in the I don't There's, know days? I don't know. Yeah, you, you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Flabbergasted, Josh. This is what you get. I, I still see Trilogy listed on May 25th. I've also heard Ice could be next. That's listed early June. Who knows? There's nothing imminent. And if you think about it, too, we are kind of in a little bit of a gap, I guess you would call it, because SP Authentic came out on April 19th. So it'll be a full month, at least month and a half, six weeks in between releases, which is definitely feels it, the pace has been so rigorous these last few months. Uh, it kind of feels weird to not have any releases. But we do want to do because, it, like I said, it came out April 19th. I think it's time to do our SP Authentic value and collectors ratings. Very popular. We do this with every re- every release. We kind of let it sit for a few weeks. Let us kind of see what the, how the secondary market, how collectors are reacting, uh, what we think of the cards when we open our boxes, and we're ready to do SP Authentic. So a little bit of a recap before we get into our ratings. Hobby boxes right now are selling for $250 US here in the US. And get this, Troy, 240 Canadian on Clouts and Shara. <laughs> how? I've actually That's crazy. I have, I it's have, like $70 less. Yeah, I have I've brought that Canadian flavor to my ratings too, even though okay. I'm just going to do my ratings off the top of my head because you have looked at this product way more than I have. 
Yeah, you've been busy with other stuff. In a hobby box, there's 10 packs per box, 9 cards per pack. You get 2 autographs, 1 Spectrum FX body card per box, 1 autographed Future Watch rookies per box, 8 limited red cards per box, 7 regular pageantry cards per box. The highlight of SP Authentic in any release, of course, though, is the Future Watch autos out of $9.99. We've stated this many times on our show, but from our perspective, the Future Watch Auto is one of the three current, at least, most important hockey cards uh, for any player that goes kind of pairs with their Young Guns and their Cup RPA. My only beef on the Future Watch Auto, and I don't even really fault, I don't know what the answer is here, is that the checklist is so big. Yeah. You've got 100 rookies, so you're going to have a lot of duds embedded within that. Or guy, pull out your Future Watch Auto and be like, who? That's good. You know, as much as you'd want to get a Cole Caulfield or Trevor Zegers or something like that. Again, I don't know what Upper Deck can do about it. My best guess is this is kind of how they're managing increased demand by making some of these rookie checklists bigger. But yeah, because this product is large, so largely driven by Future Watch autos, I think a lot of the potential ROI is tied into the rookie class. And for 2021, I think that's fairly good news, Troy, as the rookie class is pretty good. It's not out of this world. There's no Connor McDavid or, but Caulfield, Zegras. Cider, Raymond, McTavish, Jeremy Swayman. I mean, there's names that people like and chase. So not a bad rookie class. So you agree with that? Agree 100%. Then you have the Future Watch Auto Patch. Future Watch Auto Patch out of 100. Very strong chase. Another important car. Not one of the top three most important cars, but I think considered what from a rookie patch auto, one of the higher end mm-hmm. or more important or more desirable for any player. And then from the... Beyond the Future Watch autos and auto patches, there's a million other vet and legend autos that you can get some really sweet cards, like triple signs, quadruple sign, Mario Lemieux autos. But again, kind of like with the rookie checklist, you might get some names you've you're, that you haven't heard of or aren't as exciting too. And beyond the autos and the rookies, there's also some really strong insert chases. So there's the Future Watch acetates that are pretty popular. And then the really tough but unannounced Young Guns acetates that we've seen uh, some pretty strong sales. Speaking of that, top sales to date are, I kind of went through the top four. There's a Cole Caulfield Young Gun acetate that went for $2,200 U.S. Uh, Trevor Zegras Young Gun acetate, about $1,700 U.S. Cole Caulfield Future Watch Auto, I think that was like in the $1,500 U.S. range. Uh, another card I really like in SP Authentic are the the parallels to the future watch autos, the black parallels that have the gold autos. Those are so nice. One of my f- absolute favorite cards to look at. Yeah. They are so Love gorgeous. Them. I sent you that one Caprice off. I don't mm-hmm. know if that was a slap sharks card, but Oh boy, that thing is great looking. So like an example, Dawson Mercer one went for 1200. So even when you're talking at 250 a box, there's a lot of potential to hit some really nice, valuable cards in the two, three, four thousand dollars range. And then it just depends how the player does beyond that so that's kind of my wrap up i'll get into the ratings now from a collect i'll start with collector rating i give it a nine out of ten just because these cards and are hugely important there's some of the if you're a very serious collector of a particular player you're going to absolutely want the future watch auto you're probably going to want the future watch auto patch and then maybe chase some of the other cards here too and then the other thing that i really like about this product is again even though it's a big checklist when it comes to vets and legends, there's some really, really good names on it. And so pretty impressive 
in that part. Now I'm going to be curious if we do the same yes, thing. Yes, we did the same so thing because we have the same <laughs> flipping brain. I just, I just saw that. I was like, dang it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm giving it two value ratings because in the U.S. I'm giving it an eight out of ten because at $250 a box, given those checklists do get a little bit big and you tend to have a healthy amount of kind of players that you're not going to get really excited about. Eight out of ten given that it's roughly $70 cheaper in Canada for some reason that is inexplicable to me, uh, I'll give it a nine yeah, out of 10 because at $180 a box yeah. us I'm, I'm in, I, I, I like that. So uh, you want to give your ratings? Yeah, I would, my collector rating is a nine, nine out of 10, maybe a 10 out of 10. I love, I love the huge checklist. I think if you think about it from the aspect of going through the checklist and then finding the singles you want, they're fantastic. Like I said, those black, even the sign of the times black. I just love those black cards with the gold. I think they look great. And again, value rating. I'm probably in, I'm probably in the seven to eight out of 10, but the, I did do the Canada thing too. And I'm like 10 out of 10. Cause it's just great. If you can get the exchange rate and get them for super cheap, it almost felt like when, so when last year's or the last release of SP, the one with Laffy on the cover came out, I think I want to say it was three fifty a box, right? Does that sound right? And yeah, it was expensive. When I was in Iowa and I found it for two forty nine ninety nine, and I was like, "This is the greatest thing ever!" And I, <laughs> that's what I felt like when we found that box in at the expo without the balloon, um, so we didn't get our redemption pack. But Laffy aside, a markedly better rookie. Yeah. Class, so. And well, we'll hopefully Caulfield comes back. Strong. Yeah. Okay, so Gong Show approves SP authentic. Good job, Tony. <laughs> you did it, buddy. Uh, no, great job, Overdick. Okay, so now. We got to finish with listener mailbag, but finish is kind of oh really happy to the show because half the show. we had we had really good questions. Yeah. I, I mean, this is like the total like show host thing to say, but I think this is probably like legitimately our best questions that we've had. And then you went like in hard on research four hours. This pages and pages. four hours I spent on this mailbag. Oh my god! <laughs> so this is the Troy Iverson mailbag, and I'm just going to let you go, and I'll pot shot in and make stupid comments where I see fit. So uh, I'll read the questions, yeah. save you some breath and let you do, let you do the answers. Okay. So we're going to start on YouTube with Dan Quarterman. What's with the single double triple and quad diamond cards for the 1997, 98 upper deck black diamond. Does anyone know where I can find how rare single diamond versus double and so on? I just can't get this list anywhere. And no one I ask knows anything. It's strange. I almost put the bat signal out to Frank to see if he had it, but then I actually found it. And so I will say, here we go. So 1997-98 Upper Deck Black Diamond has double diamond, triple diamond, and quadruple diamond parallels. I did find the pack odds for these parallels, and they are as followed. Double diamonds are one in every pack. Triple diamond are one in every three packs. Quadruple diamonds, the odds say that there was 50 sets made. So take that for what it's okay. worth. 50 sets of the double or the quadruple diamonds. All right. That was the first rabbit hole. But then there's also inserts. And those inserts, they have premium cut single diamonds, which are one out of every seven packs. Premium cut double diamond, which is one out of every 15 packs. Premium cut triple diamond is one out of every 130 packs. Then there's premium cut quadruple diamond vertical cuts. Boy, that's a mouthful. One out of 180 packs. And then premium cut quadruple diamond horizontal cuts. 
those have varying odds from one out of 90 packs to one out of 30,000 packs. Now, oh. I actually found all this stuff kind of by accident on Dave and Adams. It, they had a product listing for these boxes, but they're not they out of stock. But they had the odds and stuff, everything, uh, everything on them. And then I did randomly, if you've ever been to Beckett, sometimes you go down that rabbit hole of a disaster website where they have the, I don't know what you want to call it, the sets, and they try to show the pricing and stuff. And they actually had some of the odd information in there too. But that was almost a stumble on also. Again, just for and just for everyone's knowledge, this 1997-98 Upper Deck Black Diamond, the key rookies are Roberto Luongo, Vincent LeCavier, Alex Tangay, Patrick Elias, uh, Eliash, Henrik Sedin, and Daniel Sedin. There's some others that are probably listed on the sell sheet that just didn't pan out, so I didn't read them. The only thing I can add is like when it comes to double, triple, and quadruple, the better players are the quadruple, yeah. so like the higher end, and then the scrubs are the doubles. Right? Yeah. Next question, Instagram, eboris91. He has two questions. First question is, what's the difference between me buying a case versus a box? Like, I know it's the amount of boxes, but does a case have a guaranteed hit or something like that? All right, Troy. Go for it. Okay, I said sometimes. Sometimes they do. There are times when a product will have a case hit. We know that. Sometimes it's listed. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's an Easter egg. So basically, and when they, we say case hit, when you, it means if you buy a case, you should hit a case hit card in the case. Now, I'm going to give easy examples off the top of my head in other products and other sports. So those would be if you've ever heard of Kabooms, Downtowns, Color Blast. There's one of those in the case, and that would be the case hit. And then I've read some rumblings. You forgot, Troy, Troy you forgot Hundo P. Hundo P. <laughs> the, the parallel, the gold or whatever. What, there was a parallel. I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah. There is some rumors or talk that in 21, 22 Allure, the 16-bit insert is allegedly a case hit. I haven't watched a case break to know if that's true or not. And then I know... Just from doing research, 2018-19 MVP Hockey had player credential cards with auto versions being a case hit. And then I started thinking to myself, maybe Fanimations sound like they're super rare. They might be a case hit as well. There's just some cards that are they're not guaranteed but are super, super rare and can probably be considered a case hit if you hit it. I haven't remember in the in the recent sell sheets Upper Deck has put out, there hasn't been anything in there about case hits. Except I think in the Series 2, was it next? Or maybe Series 2, they had something in there about two pink Dazzlers per case, which was the first time I remember seeing something about a case. I could be way off. Okay. Someone might know this way better than I do. But I was thinking some more about it. And like they don't, I don't really remember them calling out the cases, but it's just going to be those super rare. I called them the SSSSSSP cards. Considered, can be considered probably case hits, like Home Ice, the glow cards. That's probably a case hit. Uh, Young Guns, mm-hmm. Clear Cut, Attacking Zone, Acetates, Future Watch, Acetates, Day with the Cups. That's what I... I don't think they're actually called case hits, but they're rare enough where it probably is. So, long answer. I think for- on higher-end <laughs> products, they'll do that They'll do that too. Yeah. Like on... Especially like one pack, like Premier or Black Diamond or Ultimate to make sure that somebody doesn't get like six ridiculous well, cards. Think, yeah, and, and I think then- Jambalaya's, just off the top of my head, I think are case hits too. If I remember right, I, I know they are in like Fleer Ultra Avengers, so I'm sure they're in that also. All right, second question. 
Fireman, Eboris. What releases are you guys looking forward to? This is again from Eboris, so I'll go first. I'm really, really looking forward to Credentials. Excited about that. OPG Platinum, which is my jam. And then Parker's Champions. I'm so hopeful <laughs> for that set. I went with 23-24 Upper Deck Series 2, for obvious reasons. 21-22 Stature, 21-22 OPG Platinum, and then also Parker's Champions. That's growing on me. I didn't know that much about it. I've heard you talk about it enough that I actually went out and looked at the sell sheet. And boy, those 51 replicas or whatever are so cool looking. Mm. I love it. Okay, next question. Instagram, Big Shot JR. Hey, fellas, I have a question about the upcoming configuration for UD1 and UD2. Insert cards are cool and all, but ComC is flooded with EPAC inserts to the point where they are worthless and just taking up space. <laughs> Do you think it's a smooth move? To be adding more to the pile for real. What's going to happen to all these cards? <laughs> LOL. All right, Troy, you went off again. I think he's worried that when he's going to go to the expo and see all these laying around inserts because there's so many of them instead of now yeah. you just see all the base cards laying around. Now it's going to be all the inserts. I said, great. That's a great question. Let's start. I had to take a step back. And Josh, you might correct me if I make some blunders on this. This isn't my strong suit, but let's start with flagship, what it has been for the past 20 years. It's been eight cards per pack, 24 packs per box for a total of 192 cards in a hobby box. The old configuration also included one insert per pack on average. Yeah, one hit per pack. Yeah, one hit, sorry. And now we have the new configuration, which is 12 cards per pack, 12 12 packs per box for a total of 144 cards in a hobby box. The new configuration will also include three hits or inserts per pack on average remember the old configuration was one on average you also have four new base set parallels including young guns there's also three of which are serial numbered of those new parallels that includes there's the outburst silver which is unnumbered the deluxe is numbered to 250 the outburst red is numbered to 25 and the outburst gold is a one of one. And now Connor Bernard, one yep, of one. And that'll be the first ever one of one of a young guns card. So again, and I, I apologize if I made it sound like those are in a box. Those aren't. Those are just the new configuration yeah. of the cards. You also still we still have exclusives, high gloss, and clear cut. Correct? I think I remember reading that right. Yeah. No French. No French. French. No, yeah, no clear cut exclusives. Okay. There's also, in the new configuration, there's also going to be six young guns per box on average, same as before, and also four UD canvas cards per box on average, which is the same as before. Okay, that was a lot. So let's get back to the crux of the question. I think it's a great question. I think Upper Deck is really trying to do a balancing act. I think one of the things we have seen with the old configuration is that people just go through the pack so fast, find the hit or the insert in the pack and move on. This, you definitely see in breaks, and not to say breaks are everything, but when you watch them, it's just like, flip, flip, flip. Okay, that's the card. Pull it out, throw the rest of it away, because <laughs> it's all it's just that one card that everyone's looking for. So I think Upper Deck is really trying to strike that kind of balance that creates a compelling product for collectors and people that go the break route. And as much as we don't like to say that sometimes, breaking is a big deal. It's a big deal, and Upper Deck knows that, and they probably have to take that into account. I don't mind the change. I like the new Young Guns with the addition of the one-on-one, one-of-one Young Guns chase. I doubt I will ever get one, but I think it's a cool chase, and it's cool to have that hope that you might get one. 
I don't know the exact number. I, I'm trying to do dirty math in my head. There looks like there will be over 20 plus different inserts or hits. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say in my head. Yeah. What's dirty math? Well, just like in my head. Like, I was going to say napkin oh, math, okay. but I'm not writing it around. So <laughs> dirty, <laughs> math. dirty math. That's why brain works. Dirty math. So you will need a lot of hits slash inserts, et cetera, so that there is variety and you don't get watered down with maybe five or 10. But I started thinking about when we did our 90s show with Frank, and I'm pretty sure he said at times it, the amount of inserts became out of hand. There were so many at the end that it kind of just did water stuff down and it kind of made that a, a tough deal. So I don't know. I, I like it. I'm interested to see how it plays out. But I think the question is valid and the worry is valid about what could happen. Now, what do you do? Yeah. They're just basically adding more hits and getting rid of base cards. And there's only a finite amount of chase mm-hmm. out there. And so there's going to be a lot more kind of less valuable but cooler looking cards. And I just don't think that that's a horrible thing. Uh, it's There's still going to be the amount of kind of top tier inserts, parallels, that sort yep. of deal. Okay, next question from Twitter. Deluxe Dangles, where is the best place to stay up to date on product releases? I've been waiting patiently for OPG Platinum to drop, but every time I check a distributor's website, the date gets pushed back. Uh, Deluxe, when you find out, let me know, because <laughs> I have no clue. Yeah. But Troy will you, do his best. This would be such a shot, but you know where not to look for most updated product information? Upper Deck's website. I personally, Ooh. well, I'm telling not you, I, I've complained to this uh, to them. I've written in. Yeah, They have the checklist on their site. There's a tab. The most recent one they have up there is like 2018, 19 something. I know they probably just rely on the other people. I'll get to it. Here's what I say. Personally, I check the hockey sections of Beckett and Cardboard Connection. All I'm looking for is the checklists. Once the checklist drops, we know a release is imminent within the next couple of weeks. Right now, that is the surefire way to know when something is coming out. You could still use the distributor sites or the online retailers, like in the U.S., Steel City, David Adams, or you can go Canada, Clouds and Chara, 419 Games. I think those are very good for getting a ballpark idea when you can expect a product. But as we've seen, release dates get pushed, updated. It's, again, something we deal with. But at least you can get kind of a calendar, what you think is going on. And I think you can find that information on Beckett or Cardboard Connection also. But I use those sites more for the checklist drop. And then I know it's coming out. Okay. Boom. Good answer. Next question from Gongshow Discord, just hockey cards. Would you say the hobby is more excited or about the same for Bedard as it was for Laffy? And if so, how much fun is it going to be to witness the hobby <laughs> opium if he doesn't oh. produce on a terrible team? No, no bad words about Bedard not producing. Come on. We all got to yeah. drink the Kool-Aid, right? Great question. I know there was a lot of hype around Laffy, and I remember going to Target and seeing a whole box of just Laffy cards in that Laffy set. I don't think it was very expensive or it was very collectible, but I do remember that popped in my head. I was like, oh, that's interesting. No one graphics got this whole set of cards. I was not in tune into the hobby as I am now, but I do feel, I just personally, I think Bedard's got to exceed Laffy, right? It has to. I would just think it does. Maybe someone will tell me I'm way off. But I thought Jeremy even said that even McDavid might have had more more hype, he thinks, than Bedard did right now. Did he say that, or am I just – is that something I made up? I don't know. I don't remember. Sorry, Jeremy, if I misquoted you. Let's, let's strike that one from the record. I just know the hype is real. People can't wait. I mean, 
look at us. We did a live stream slash chat of a draft lottery. And the driving force behind that was one guy, Bedard, and yeah. seeing where he'll land. Obviously, I want Bedard to really succeed, light it up. Huge driving force. We've talked about this. We talked about it earlier on how we think it will be great for the hobby. As long as the NHL doesn't screw it up, I think the NHL should call the Wild and talk to their marketing department. Because guess what? The Wild's marketing department is awesome. And we have some of the best local marketing TV commercials in the NHL for sure. They're hilarious. They're so good. And they really make the personalities of the players shine, Mm -hmm. which I just love. Okay, actually, the next question was a last-minute one that came in. and So from Instagram, Kits Lifestyle, of the big three auction houses, PWCC, Golden, and Heritage, which one, A, has more hockey items, B, gets the highest prices, and C, holds the record for highest hockey cards auction price? First of all, on this question, we have to disclose that we're sponsored by PWCC. So going back to question A, which one of the three, which has the most hockey cards? The current PWCC weekly auction is 190 cards, which is actually quite a bit down from where it normally is. We follow closely because we do the weekly show with Jeremy. It's usually in the three to 400 range. Not sure what's going on this week. Golden's current weekly auction is 205 hockey cards, so 15 more than PWCC. And Heritage has 123 hockey cards in all their current auctions. So it's Golden, PWCC, and Heritage today that has the most, but it does fluctuate every week. Now, question B was, who gets the highest prices? This is a little bit a trickier one. We haven't done an in-depth study in comparison over, you'd have to do, like, it would be hard yeah. to do it right, but over a long period of time. I do think in general, though, Troy, the traditional auction houses, all three of them do best with vintage, really vintage through 2015 or McDavid's rookie mm-hmm. year. None of them to this point seem to do super well on ultra modern. So like Cole Caulfield kind of type cards, whereas someone like Slab Sharks on the eBay consignment side, that tends to be their sweet spot in the ultra modern end. Again, without doing analysis and going back to the vintage side, one of the reasons why we were so interested in working with PWCC is that they do tend to get consistently good prices. And honestly, all three auction houses will have their moments. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a clear winner or not. And that kind of brings us into question C, which one is the record price? So I kind of went through the biggest names. And if you look at like the top three Gretzky sales to date are all at Heritage. Okay. If you want McDavid, the top three are Heritage, PWCC, and Golden. So good mix there. Crosby is Golden and PWCC. Heritage for for Gordie Howe, Golden is all three of the top sales. For Rocket Richard, Heritage, and PWCC have the top three sales. For Ovechkin, Golden again is all the top three. Lemieux, Golden, and PWCC have the top three. So again, pretty mixed bag all around. All right, next question. Instagram, JB Hockey Cards. Would you rather drop hundreds of dollars on a Connor Bedard Young Guns or hundreds of dollars on a Connor Bedard OPG Platinum Rookie? Any variation? I just said this is tough, especially for me to answer this question where I'm just like, I don't know. But I said, let's make some assumptions that Bedard is healthy. He's playing great. By this time, his Young Gun is released. So I am not the biggest flipper, the biggest investor. But if you could pull a Bedard Raw and then be able to grade that sucker a PSA 10 early and flip. That to me would be fun. That's going to be a that's going to be a race to PSA. And I'm guessing those oh, people God, yeah. that live where they can do the walk-in service, 
buying cases because yeah. if you buy a case, you're guaranteed one at least, right? I think that's how they, yeah, and you might get two uh, the way the configuration works. But again, we have no clue on what quality is going to be. But whoa, that would be a fun, that's kind of a fun game to get into there. But again, you're really playing roulette with the quality control gods at the printing facility. I, man, I, I really like this question. I go again to our replaceability thing where it's, I'll be able to get a Bedard Young Guns 24 hours a day whenever I want. They are going to be for sale everywhere. They're going to be everywhere. I think if I was going to go the Young Guns route, I would personally want one of the new numbered parallels. Will I be able to afford it? Probably yeah. not, but I think it'd be cool. But I also am leaning towards that OPG Platinum just for those lower print runs, something like a Seismic Gold. I, we love those. I think I would really... Those are going to be off yeah, the charts expensive. Be, I, I but, would say, like, I would like to have this card, but am I going to be able to afford it? Probably not. But could you get a Red Prism out of 199 Yeah. Which would be kind of a color match. Yeah. And over the long haul, would that have... Because you have to assume that the population count of the Bedard oh, Young Guns PSA 10 is going to be astronomical. Yeah. Right? And, and so, and there's only going to be 109... I don't know if Red Prism will still be 199 but Whatever it is, there's only going to be 199 or violet pixels yeah. even at 399 or whatever. So to me, over the long run, I would probably be more interested in OPG. But you're right, though. Out of the gate, that first month is going to be Young Guns Bonanza. <laughs> That's going to be crazy. Love it. Okay, next one. Instagram, dgred76. This is a great question. Oh. I'm glad he's, he sent it in. I've been collecting for a little over a year now and want to get into submitted cards for grading. What's some advice for someone who's never done it? There are so many companies and memberships and options for grading that I've just gotten overwhelmed and don't even know where to start. And well, first of all, I'll let you answer, Troy, but we've been there. Don't feel weird or bad that you're overwhelmed. It's it's a horrible non-customer centric process. And yeah. So your last part of that question, I just, I love it. It's, I've gotten overwhelmed and don't even know where to start. Welcome to the club. I feel your pain. I have talked about my kind of spite for grading. I've made it known I'm not that big of a fan of it. And it's not for the value aspect. There is definitely value in a play in grading. I just think the whole process seems like it's, we've talked about this engineered complexity, whether it be different rates based off some arbitrary value you think the card is worth, different turnaround times, being a member of a certain grading company's club. There's just so much stuff that is, it boggles my mind. Now, some companies are getting a lot better at simplifying. I will say that this isn't, it's kind of a blanket statement, but you have to really, you have to really look at each of these companies. And really, this should be a Hockey Cards 101 question, or a 101 episode at some point, is do a whole Hockey Cards 101 on grading. Again, I feel your pain. We are now kindred spirits in our grading confusion. I kind of took this question and said, I'm going to give the very basic of basic primers. I don't even know what to call this. I'm calling it Troy's Jaded Grading Breakdown. And I apologize. I can't answer this more completely. But really, we could go on for hours about this topic. And I just said, let's start with the grading companies. I'll be brief. You're going to get the most information by going to each grading company's website. That's just how it is. You're going to see all the stuff on their website, pricing, turnaround, all this stuff. Also, if it if that is confusing after you go to each site, there's also YouTube videos. There are people out there that try to explain the process and help. So that's one thing you can do. And there's also people that have written, written websites on it. But again, 
probably a hockey cards 101 at some point if we ever get around to it. So here's what here's what I did. Here's the grading companies. There's PSA. They're the big one. They're the king. PSA slabs in general have the most value. They have a bunch of service levels and pricing that hurts my head. You'll see it on their website. Slab is pretty dated looking. Would you have anything else to add, Josh? Really quick. That's my basic primer on PSA. <laughs> they're the king right now. No, yeah. They're above and beyond the most value. Yeah. If you're looking to maximize value, you go with PSA. Yeah. Next one I have is SGC. They are previously known for their vintage grading. They've been around forever. Or not forever, but they've been around a while. Very trustworthy. Very well-regarded. They've become a lot more prominent with their fast turnaround times, especially during or after COVID. Slabs, black and white, called the tuxedo. They look nice to me. So that's my SGC primer. Next one, BGS. Used to be the top dog and has recently had a couple of missteps that have hurt them greatly. They are kind of in reset mode right now. I'm not sure I would really recommend them until they figure their stuff out. They were really known for offering the subgrades on the slab. If you've ever seen a Beckett holder or BGS, it has usually 99% of the times, I guess. It has the grade and then subgrades. They kind of, I think, pioneered that. The website used to look like it's from the 90s. They've done a better job, but if you get deep enough, it goes right back to that very complex, very 90s-looking website. They have a dedicated fan base for sure. Slabs are not my favorite. They seem dated and they have a reset going on. So I would wait to see what happens before I even grade with them anymore. Next one on the list, TAG. They are the newest entrance, TAG. Full disclosure, friend of the show, Jeremy Lee, who Josh co-hosts a weekly PWCC preview show with. Jeremy Lee. Jeremy is a TAG employee. So I just want to get that out there. They are the one, they're basically the most, I'll call it technologically advanced. They use the photometric stereoscopic imaging they provide submission kits to you which i think is a pretty cool thing right now it's free i don't know how long that stays but they will send you all the supplies for you to send in your stuff they score on a thousand point scale you get detailed imaging you get a detailed grading report that you can basically go in and see every little thing on your card and why it got the grade it did i'll say this their slabs are growing on me they look really nice they're very clear the stuff is etched in, like the wording. It's really they're really nice. I think that really helps with counterfeiting issues. They they yeah. seem to have that pretty well covered. Right now they are doing drops. If you want to submit the tag, you have to get into one of their drops, which is a way for them to control the flow into their because right now being a newer company, if they took in everything, which I think they started, they started it was you could send it in or like get into the beta, but now they're doing these controlled drops. Just remember. Another thing with tag, no upcharges or declared values. There is the name issue, but on eBay, we've talked about this before. When you search for tag, you might run into laundry tags. Laundry tag. But if you go into, they've added the, I just saw this. If you go into the filters and you look for authentication company, they're an option now. So that's a thing too. And then we also have CSG. This is the one I do not, I know the least about. Our friend of the show, David Chow, really likes them, I believe. He's, I believe, talked to us about how they're kind of, they've had a redo in their holders that look really nice. And we've had some people in the discord really like them too. They're just the one I don't know the most about. So you'll have to do more. They're the big comic graders, right? That's where their legacy is. I think so. Yeah. I DGC comic grading company. I I cannot stand the three letter acronyms. (laughs) We got to get away from that. Um, Then there's a couple more. There's MNT, there's KSA. They're both Canadian. I don't know much about them. I don't use them. 
Yeah. And that's what I got. So I hope that helps get you down the path of going to research more. I understand your confusion. It stinks. Maybe one day it will, it will be very simple. Hope this helps. I think that's a great recap. And the only thing I would add to that to throw in is if you can, if you have a local card shop that you trust oh, yeah. that maybe does great like idea. bulk submissions mm-hmm. where you can go and they can walk you through the process. A lot of them will do like a raw card review for you and say, uh, hey, there's a huge print line on this card. It's not going to grade well. Don't send it in. I wish those are mistakes that we made yep. early on that just cost you time and money. Yep. And so I would try to find an LCS that I trust that does bulk submissions to any of these companies. And that can be a big benefit. Yep. Great point. Absolutely great point. Okay, next question. Facebook, Nathan Weeby. Yeah, well, he has three questions, actually. First one is buy a case of UD Series 2. 2023-24 with the Bedard Young Guns and hold or rip? <laughs> I would actually hold it because what's potentially inside the case, 99% of the time will be better than what's actually in it. <laughs> yep. So uh, we open a lot of product and you see our videos and we never play anything. No. So I've, I <laughs> I would say I'd hold it, but I'm a degenerate. So that thing would be sitting in the corner of my office. After about a week, <laughs> I would just break down and rip that thing wide open. So as much as I want to yeah. hold, I would rip it. And then his next question is, what effect do you think the Young Gun 101 will have on wax prices? And I think you can really answer this more in Connor Bedard. Until it's pulled, it's going to just, as there will be a, it will be proportional to time, mm-hmm. right? As the wax, the case prices will go up and box prices will go up and up and up. And then when that card is hit, and for everybody's sake, hopefully it's not day one. I mean, it'd be great if it took a year, yeah, right? Awesome. That you could see huge increases in wax prices because the thought, of course, is every box that's opened is one box closer to hitting the Bedard 101. And then there's also the thing that you you never know. Maybe some 12-year-old kid opens a pack and shoves them in his drawer <laughs> and it's never he has no idea what he has and it's the Bedard gold outburst 101 and it's never found i mean that's a possibility that, a too, possibility. that, that card may never ever be found because kids will open young i mean they'll right, kids will open flagship and you just never know oh i love it okay and the last question from nathan is will the addition of the out of 250 and 25 young guns devalue the other short print and numbered cards there are now 275 more uh young guns i don't really i all things being the same, maybe yes, but I think that there's going to be so many more people coming mm-hmm. in that it's just going to provide, it'll balance itself out. It's a good way of Upper Deck kind of, again, responding to demand. Okay, next question. Instagram, Siba Hockey Cards. I've been watching the prices of Lucas Reichel since the <laughs> Hawks won the first pick. His raw young guns are selling in the $25 range right now. Could you see him being the next dry sidle now that he's going to be playing with Bedard? Majority of his career, I think Dreisaitl is a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, I said that's you know, a little Leon strong. That's a little strong, but maybe one of the best know. players on earth. Yeah. And to call again, nobody scored more goals in the past five years, nobody than Leon Dreisaitl. But uh, I do think, and we mentioned in our Bedard talk, that he's an interesting teammate, and he's probably the one decent or intriguing option that the Blackhawks have right now, pending other people they add in the draft or free agency trades. Okay. 
Next question. Instagram, one of our favorite people, Top Shelf Cookie Sniper 88. Love this question. I always wondered who the driver was for the struggle bus. <laughs> I would think it should be an all-time struggler or someone who never lived up to their potential. Maybe Alexi Yashin or is it Dave? I always say Dave, oh, but I never know. I've heard Dang. it. I've actually yeah. I've watched video on him, people, and I've seen it pronounced three different ways. So I always say Alexander Dave. Okay. All right. I love this question. Great question. So I think last show, Josh kind of wants the driver to be the person who struggled most the previous year. Great suggestion. And I think Josh would already nominate Laffy for this post. I think Laffy or Mo. I think Laffy has turned in his application, is in the front running to be the struggle bus driver. Him and Mo are final. Oh, him and Mo. Oh, I forgot about Mo. But I love the all-time struggler idea. Yes, Alexander Dagg is definitely a candidate. I also think now Yakupov is another strong candidate for the all-time struggle bus driver. There are some big bus from the 60s, but I said we, we want to keep it recent. We want to have people we've heard of. And then I want to do, be fair, for a goalie candidate, maybe Rick DiPietro. You could probably put him in the running for that. Funny, funny yeah. fact about him, he still gets paid by the Islanders until the end of the 2028-29 season. Kind of a little Bobby Bonilla situation going there. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say he's the Bobby Bonilla of the NHL. And then also, again, to be fair, I threw in a Minnesota North Star as well, Brian Lawton. Oh, North Stars. We had the number one pick. We took Brian Lawton. Oh, we could have had Pat LaFontaine or maybe this guy you've heard of, Steve Yeiserman. I don't know. I think he turned out okay, I guess. It would have been nice to maybe just yeah. see what he did with the North Stars, but we didn't get him. Okay, next question. Instagram, cards age. What's your thoughts on releasing throwback rookies for vets, like in the cup or clear cut? I think I totally turned myself into circles on this question. Full disclosure, I'm a complete sucker for all-time Future Watch autos that were released in 2020-21 SP Signature Edition Legends. I love them. I absolutely love them. I think I land this way. If they didn't have a rookie of a certain card, like a Future Watch auto or a Young Guns, I'm all for it. While for him going back and maybe like making a like a card they never had. However, and maybe you have a different idea, you can't really release multiple young guns or future watch autos for a player. And let's say you had a future watch auto. Can you have an all-time future watch auto? That's where I get kind of is that too close or is it like a sister card, a cousin well, card? Well, you just you just gotta be smart yeah. about it. Like the the card I think of that is really cool are like the tops chrome. So like the Chrome version of the Gretzky rookie mm-hmm. or the Patrick Waugh rookie, right? Where it's not going to be ever confused yeah. with the original, but it's a it's a artistic sort of reimagination mm-hmm. of it. Okay, next question. Instagram, Judgy99. Is Jack Hughes high Young Guns gem rate <laughs> due to his good looks? Here's my- uh, interesting connection. Pre and post tooth loss. Here's my only input on this. Almost every player on my girls' high school hockey team lists their favorite player as Jack Hughes, and I think we all know why. He's good-looking and a great player, and they all love him. Yeah, the NHL needs to market yeah. this kid. Like his as interviews much are just awesome. Because half the time he'll look disinterested, then he'll make a snide comment. You'll kind of laugh. He he does remind me of Zegris in a little bit, a little ways, but he is yeah. turning into his own character at times. I love it. Last question, Instagram, Maniac Hockey Cards. <laughs> no, so about those teeth. Is it Maine? Maine. No, is it? Maniac. That's nice. It's spelled M-A-I-N-E-I-A. 
Isn't that like, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, Maniac it's a, with Maine. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's a plan words. So how about those t-shirts? Ha ha ha, I want one. Well, we don't have t-shirts. We've <laughs> never, I've never even had a gong show t-shirt. We're sort of working on it, trying to figure that out. But TBD. we'll keep TBD. everyone posted to be determined. Whew. Well, Troy, we made yeah. it. The uh, That is our episode for today. If you like the show, please leave a rating review on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you listen to us on. If you love the show and you want to support us and help us to produce more content and thrive and want to, again, support us via Patreon, there's a $5 a month donation. You can join our Out of 99 support level tier. There's a link on our website, hockeycardsgongshow.com, to become a patron. Go to the Patreon website at patreon.com and search for Hockey Cards Gong Show. There's also a link in the show description for whatever podcast app you're listening to us on right now. And then finally, in our link tree, which is in our Instagram and TikTok profiles, there's a link there. If you're not following us on social media, please do so. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. And Troy, the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast, is a production of Dollar Box Ventures, LLC. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend.